Well, good morning, Northland, and happy new year. Man, it's our first corporate worship gathering together at the 11 o'clock. Well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4 in the New Testament. As you turn in there, periodically, I get these advertisements on social media that says something to the effect, tired of having a dad bod. And I'm like, how do they, how do they like, why? why? Why does that come across my feed? And so, you know, every time I see that kind of advertisement, I, I have these conflicting thoughts. Because on, on one hand, I want to say, no, nope, I'm not tired at all of having this dad bod because you know what? I love my pancakes, love my waffles, I love my French toast, my stuffed French toast, uh, I love my fried chicken tenders. None of that grilled stuff. Uh uh-uh, uh, no. Fried chicken tenders. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. That's right. That's right. I'm preaching, baby. I like my greasy hamburgers and I love my French fries. And then I love my cheesecake, my ice cream, my snickerdoodle cookies. And then even recently, Caleb, he started working at Panera. And I love when he works the closing shift. (laughs) Because he gets to bring home goodies. I don't think he realizes. He's in this gathering. I don't think he realizes what joy it brings my heart when he brings home some goodies. Like this past week, he brought home four cinnamon rolls. And each cinnamon roll is the size of my face. Like, so yes, when I see that advertisement, tired of a dad bod, I'm like, nope, not at all. Which is why I love this t-shirt that I came across, which says, it's not a dad bod, it's a father figure. (laughs) Come on, dads. We got a father figure, baby. Mm Mm-hmm. Love it. (laughs) But then on the other hand, on the other hand, I do have this thought. I kind of am tired of my dad bod. I'm tired of not being able to truly fit in my clothes. And I'm tired of being now in the middle because now I have entered into a new size category. You say, Josh, what's that size category? It's a malarge. It's a malarge. Because I'm no longer a medium and I'm no longer a large, I'm a malarge. I'm too big for a medium and I'm too small for a large. I am a Millard. So I think I am kind of tired of my dad bod. You say, Josh, why are you talking about dad bod and all that? Well, it is the new year where many people develop new years. Here are the top five new year's resolutions for 2023. There won't be any surprise. But number one is exercise more, 52%. Eat healthier, lose weight. And number four, what's number four? Now, see, I don't understand this. And here's why I'm getting getting a little excited about this because I'm mad and I'm angry. Because they want you to save money. But think about the first three New Year's resolutions. You got to spend money. You got to spend money exercising. So you got to go to Crunch Fitness. You got to go to Planet Fitness. Or you got to go to Peloton and buy a bike and it costs you money. And then eat healthier. Guys, I know, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, a few of you do the grocery shopping, but sometimes I accompany my wife to Publix and Aldi and I go down the healthy aisle and I'm like, no, it will break the bank and then to lose weight. And if you lose weight, you got to buy new clothes. So 
if you do meet the first three, you will not meet the fourth one. You won't save money, you'll spend money. If they want us to eat healthier, guess what they ought to do? Lower the cost. I mean, some eggs. Man, we used to go to Aldi and spend 99 cents for, for a dozen eggs. Now it's like five, six dollars. I'm like, no, just go buy chicken. I'm sure they're cheaper. <laughs> some of you like John Tardone, you're like, they are. <laughs> and then the fifth one is spend more time with family and friends. Now, but here's what I know about New Year's resolutions and even about my dad bod. Uh, The majority of people, including me, we're we're not going to realize our New Year's resolutions. In fact, most people, well over the majority of people who actually do have New Year's resolutions, they flame out by the second week of February. Now, I I don't know where you are in, in your life. I know where some of you are, but I don't know where all of you are in your life. And I don't know what changes you actually want to make this year. Maybe you do want to lose weight. Maybe you want to lose the attitude. Maybe you want to have less of a potty mouth. Maybe you want to shake that addiction this year. Maybe you want to lower your blood pressure. Maybe you want to improve your marriage. Maybe you want to improve your parenting. Maybe you actually want to increase your leadership capacity. Maybe you want to improve in some capacity your career or your vocation. And maybe you do want to grow in your faith. But here's what I know if you want to change, if I want to change. We will have to become dissatisfied with where we are. And we'll have to become so dissatisfied that, listen to this, come into this. The pain of staying the same outweighs the painful gains you will have to make in order to bring about the change you want to see. In other words, you have to experience more pain in staying the same, and that has to outweigh your painful gains if you're going to change. Guess what? You'll never and I'll never change with what we're really okay with. And ultimately, I'm really okay with the dad bod. And so if, you, if you're okay, you'll never change. But if you want to change the status quo, you're going to have to get mad at the status quo. And so you're going to have to make this declaration. You ready for this declaration? Say, I'm ready. Here's the declaration. The status quo has got to go. Like you'll never change unless you get to that point where you say the status quo of staying the same has to go. So let's, let's practice together. Ready? On the count of three, we want to say it together. Ready? One, two, three. The status quo has got to go. That's the only way you're going to change. It's the only way we're going to change. And it actually is the reason why many Christians don't really grow in their faith. Why they don't grow in their walk. Because they feel like, I'm, I'm just okay with where I'm at. I'm, I'm just really good. I'm, I mean, I'm like, I'm not like this person. Not like that person. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of good. I'm, I'm satisfied with where I'm at. And so, so many Christians, they haven't gotten mad at the status quo and then that the pain of what they would have to do in order to grow is greater than the pain of staying the same and so they think to themselves well it's just not worth the effort I'm fine and here's what I hope and pray for all of us in 2023 is that we will grow in our God bod so it's not about growing in my dad bod, not growing in, you know, think about, oh I, I got to change this about my body, my image, that, that's fine, that's great if you want to do that but, but here's my prayer for us in 2023 as a church, that we would grow in our God bod, that we would become more like Jesus, we would become more mature, but here's what I know. 
And here's the main point. If you're ready for the main point, say you're ready. To have a God bod will require training more so than trying. If you want a God body, you want to become more like Jesus, you want to become more godly, as we see here in a second, it will require training, not trying. You know, when I think about this idea of training and trying, like I, I don't think Michael Jordan ever said, you know what, I'm just going to try to be the best basketball player that ever lived. And he's better. He's the GOAT, not LeBron. We ain't going to start that. Tom Brady never set out and said, you know what, I'm, gonna be the, I'm just going to try to be the oldest quarterback or the best quarterback. Actually, he's not the best Peyton Manning is, but I don't have time to d- divulge. <laughs> Serena Williams never sat there decades ago and said, you know what, I'll try to be, to be the best at tennis. No, all, all of these athletes, they trained to be the best. You see, the difference between training and trying is this. Training is making time. Trying is saying, if I have the time. Training is intentional. Trying is periodical. Training is discipline. Trying is saying, if I feel like it. Training is determination. Trying is a good intention. Training is execution. Trying is going through the motions. Well, I I bought a gym membership. I bought some running shoes. But you don't don't use them. So you had good intentions. You just didn't execute. Training is methodical. Trying is haphazard. Training is an investment. Trying is an interest. Training is a lifestyle. Trying is luck. And then training is transformational. Trying is transactional. And here's what I want to declare to all of us this morning is that we cannot try our way to a God bod. We have to train our way to a God bod. And so with that, let's stand and read God's word together. First Timothy chapter four. And just so that you know, I am wired. I took off this past week. I got a lot of energy and I've been waiting for the weekend so I can dispense my energy. All right, here we go. Verse one. The spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by whom? I want you to think about this. These are people, they, they went to church They were a small group leader. Maybe they were even on staff. And what Paul says is that they will abandon the faith and they will begin to teach things that are demonic teachings. Don't you think about that? That, that That's scary. And then he says such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They, and here's what they're doing in this day. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. So what these deceitful teachers were doing is that they were going around saying, if you really want to be godly, if you really want to be mature, if you want to even be saved, then you actually need to avoid marriage and then you need to avoid certain foods. That is not at all what God's word 
teaches. Because here's what Paul's going to say in verse four. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. In other words, what Paul is saying is that you need to know God's word in order to respond rightly to God. Because who created marriage? God did. Created Adam, then caused a deep sleep in Adam, took a rib out, formed Eve, brought Eve to Adam, marriage. One man, one woman. And then, if you were here for our generosity series, God, he is the one who has created all foods for us to enjoy. And Jesus declared all food clean. So eat the cinnamon roll. (laughs) Eat that bacon. Eat those ribs. They've been created by God and they are good. But, but notice this, by the word of God, so we're gonna know the word of God, that God created these things and these things are good, but in order for us to be able to sanctify them as good, we've gotta respond properly to God in thanksgiving, thanking him for the good that he's given us. That's what Paul's saying. And so that was the heresy then. Well, what are some heresies now, Josh? Well, there are people that are saying, well, just don't take the Bible too literally today. (laughs) No, 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 no. The Bible is the word of God. And then there are some people in the church today that are saying, you know what? We just need to concentrate on the love of God. Well, we don't need no holiness. <laughs> no, that, that, that's not, no. You need love and holiness. And then there are some people out there that will say, well, if you follow Jesus and, and you're clean, then you will have health and wealth. Won't you tell that to our king? Because he was crucified on a cross and he came into the world in poverty. I'm preaching, sorry. Happy New Year, happy New Year. All right, let me, let me move on, let me move on, let me move on. Uh, verse six, just know that there's still heresy out there. Verse six, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. I want you to know, just as Timothy, I want to be a good minister. And the way to be a good minister is to preach the word and not worry about whether or not I please you or entertain you, but I preach to an audience of one, and his name is Jesus. And as long as Jesus is pleased with me, he's the one that determines whether or not I'm good, not you. Preaching is good, it's fun. All right, then he he says, verse seven, this is where we're focusing. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, so don't spend your time debating about stupid stuff. Rather, train yourself to be, everybody say it. That word train in the Greek is gymnasium. It's where we get our word gymnasium. So go to the Lord's gym and learn his ways and become like him. So train yourself for godliness, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And that is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. Verse 11, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone, Timothy, look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. What are we doing right now? Reading Scripture publicly. And you're saying, well, we're standing. You keep talking. (laughs) 
And here's why we're standing is because once again, we believe that the word of God is inspired by God, breathed out by God, written down by the hands of men. And every time we read God's word, it's as if Jesus himself was standing in our midst, talking to us, and we honor him by standing. He's our king. So give, give yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching, to teaching. What are you doing, Josh? I'm preaching, I'm exhorting you, and I'm teaching, and I'm instructing you. It's what we're doing. Do not neglect your gift, which was given through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your what? Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray. God, may you be glorified. Jesus, may you be the center of this message. And Spirit of God, will you work to shape us and mold us, those who are your children, more into the image of our King. I pray for those who are far from you, that are checking things out, that are just interested. I pray that you, Spirit, would draw them to the beauty, the grace, the love, the forgiveness, the redemption, the reconciliation that Jesus offers them so that he might turn them into new creation. For it's in your name we pray, our God and King. Amen. You may be seated now. Unless you want to stand with me in the entire time, that'd be great. So, so if we're going to have a God bod, we're going to have to train, not try. And I want us to look at four elements of training for a God bod. So four elements. Number one, training requires a purpose. Training requires a purpose. Everybody say purpose. So you need a why if you are going to train. Now, Paul tells us the why. Train yourself to be godly. There's your why. If you want to go to the Lord's gym and train, here's the reason why. So that you might be godly. You say, what is godly? Simply put, being more like God. If you want to be godly, you want to be more like God. Now, what's fascinating about this idea of being godly, being more like God He created us, he created human beings in his image. Does anybody else remember the second word? And in his likeness. And so God has created us to reflect his glory. And in reflecting his glory, we become like him. We do not become God. We do not become a God. We become like God in his character, in his attributes, and in his nature. And as we've been created in his image, we are a mirror that reflects his likeness to the watching world. So the reason why you and me are to train to be godly is so that we can be like God, which is the very reason why we were created to be like him. And here's a note to self. Training isn't just part of your life. Training actually becomes your life. I mean, if you look at some of the top athletes in the world, if you look at Olympians, their entire life is devoted to their training. And the Christian life is no different. Like your godliness and my godliness is dependent upon training in its entirety that we devote our life to it so that we can become like our God. But then there are two also micro reasons. So that's the macro reason so that we might be godly. But there are two micro reasons why we should engage in training for a God bod. Paul goes on to write, for physical training is of some value. So good job. You got the Peloton. You downloaded the app and you pedaled to your heart's content. Keep doing it. Uh, maybe you chose to sign up for your first half you know, Ironman or your, your first half marathon. I, I don't know. Good for you because there is some 
profit and benefit to some physical training. But here's what Paul says. Godliness, everybody say godliness, has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So I want you to think about this. The present value of pursuing and training to be godly. You actually and I actually improve every sphere of our life. We become a better person. We actually do become a better version of ourselves when we pursue and train for godliness. We become a more loving and supportive spouse. We become a more loving and encouraging parent. We become a more devoted and disciplined worker. We become a better and more faithful friend. We become a better steward of the resources and finances that God has given us. Our mind gets sharper. We become wiser and we're not as rough by chaos and crisis when they hit our lives because we are anchored in the likeness of God. And then what about the life to come, Josh? Well, think about this. As we train ourselves to be like God, we are preparing ourselves for eternity. So when we actually get there and, and Jesus fully makes all things new, it won't be foreign to us because we have been moving that way since our salvation. And then, as we train for godliness, we are actually storing up treasures in heaven because the fruits of godliness will not be destroyed in the end. And so, training for godliness has present life value as well as value for the life to come. Now, every year, I make a list of goals and objectives. And Joni can witness to it. It's, it's about two, three, sometimes four pages long of all of my goals and objectives for the year. But prior to this year, for several years, one of my goals was to lose at least 10 pounds. And the reason why I wanted to lose at least 10 pounds is because I was, I was tired of that size category called Millarge. And I just thought to myself, man, if I could just lose 10 pounds, I'd go back into the medium category and I'd be happy. But, the, but, but you know, something happened over the last couple of years. Designers started to create stretchy jeans that move with you. And I'm like, man, this is fabulous. This is awesome. Because no longer do I have to necessarily feel like I have to lose the 10 pounds because here, here's the thing, like I, I do want to be healthy. That, that, that is an objective. Like for crying out loud, I did a full Ironman in 2022. Like I do want to be healthy and, and I want to basically fit in my clothes. I mean, that, that's really the goal and objective. So therefore, when it, came to losing, when, it, when it came to losing 10 pounds, I was just trying, I wasn't training. I needed that why. And really the why is to just be healthy and fit into my clothes. You need a why for training. And Paul is telling Timothy, here's your why, to be like God. But have you ever wondered why training fails? Well, whether it's a New Year's resolution, a goal that you have in your life, or here, being more like God. Do you, do you know why training fails? A couple reasons. Here they are. You don't have a why. Second, you forget the overarching why, and forgetfulness leads to fruitlessness. A third reason why people fail is you just really don't want it. You, and, and you're not going to train for what you don't want. And you're not going to train for something someone else wants for you. So you're, you know, maybe there's some spouses out there and your wife, she wants this for you, but unless you want it for yourself, you'll never change. You've got to have that why. Also, here's another reason why training fails. The pain to train is greater than the gain. In other words, the why isn't greater than the what. Here's another reason, impatience. I've seen this in people. I mean, they, 
They, they, they get the trainer, they get the training program, they go to the gym, they start working out every day, they start eating right, and then two weeks later, they jump on the scale and they're like, I gained three pounds. Quitting this. And so they're not progressing fast enough. And so they'll, they'll stop. And then another reason is people keep it to themselves. Because if you tell somebody you wanna, you wanna get better, if you tell somebody you wanna change, guess what you've just done? You've just told them, hold me accountable. See, if you, if you keep it to yourself, you want, you, you, listen, you, you, can, you can flame out and, and no one's gonna be disappointed. No one's going to say, well, why, why, why'd you stop? Because you kept it to yourself. Here's why training for a God bot is so important. Please don't miss this, church. If training for a godly body fails, it actually can lead to other failures. Do you know what the opposite of godliness is? Worldliness. And let's think about this for a second. Think about all of those moments in your life where you have responded worldly. You have sought vengeance, you have been resentful, you have been bitter, you have reacted without responding well. You have been unloving, you've been unforgiving, you've been short with your spouse, you have disciplined out of anger, you've disciplined your children out of anger, you fudged on your, uh, on your time sheet. Think about all those times where you have been worldly. Has worldliness really benefited you? Nope. But don't you think about what godliness does? Because I've had those moments in my life where I have. I've acted more like God. And acting more like God, it hasn't hurt my marriage. It actually has helped my marriage. Being godly hasn't been a poor reputation to my kids. It's actually been a great reputation and example for my kids. And being godly hasn't brought about suffering for others. It actually has helped others. And so when you think about the why behind godly training, it produces benefits beyond belief. So you need the why, and you'll never get to the what before you have your why. Number two, training keeps in mind a person. Training keeps in mind a person. So not, not only is there a why in our training, but there is actually a who in our training. I remember growing up playing competitive baseball. I wanted, I wanted to be like Greg Maddox. I played two positions. I was a pitcher and I played second base and then also I batted. So when I pitched, I wanted to be like Greg Maddox. He had played for the Cubs and he played for the Braves. And here's the reason why I wanted to be Greg Maddox. He was not the fastest pitcher, but he was one of the most efficient pitchers. Like, so I wasn't a very fast pitcher, so I wanted to be an efficient pitcher. And then when it came to fielding, I wanted to be Ryan Sandberg, who played for the Cubs, and I wanted to field like him. And then when it came to batting, I wanted to bat like Ken Griffey Jr. or Barry Bonds. When I played basketball and I played in high school, and don't judge me, like I did, I played in high school, played my freshman year, started out playing my senior year, and you're like, you short and you white. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but I could shoot, I could shoot. And so I, I liked Larry Bird. I wanted to pattern myself after Larry Bird. He was a great shooter, but, but there was another person in the NBA I wanted to be like, and his, names was, his name was Muggsy Bogues. And the reason why I wanted to be like Muggsy Bogues because he was the shortest player to ever play in the NBA at a whopping five foot three inches. And I thought, hey, if old Muggsy at five foot three inches can play in the NBA, then this white boy of five foot six inches can play in the NBA. I, I, had, my high, you know, I had my hope set 
on Muggsy Bogues. And then playing golf, I wanted to be like Davis Love the third, and then eventually Tiger Woods. Joshua, where, where, where are you going with this? You need a person in mind that you want to train to become like. Like in my Ironman, I, I, here, here's what I did uh, I'm about, about a year and a half uh, two years ago, I, I Googled what is the average time it takes for an Ironman to finish. And it said 12, 13, in some cases 14 hours. I said, that's my person right there. And so I went out and bought a training plan that would help me to finish an Ironman somewhere between 12 and 14 hours, and I accomplished that. See, you need a who. You need to set your sights on a who that you are going to become like in training in whatever it is. Now, when it comes to Timothy training to be godly, here's what Paul tells Timothy, verse 10. That is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people and especially of those who believe. And we know that this savior has a name and his name is Jesus. So Jesus is the person Paul has in mind when training to be godly. And it would stand, I mean, it would actually stand to reason that yes, it would be Jesus. Why? Because he's the God man. He's fully God. He's the son of God. He is the exact representation of God in flesh. So if I train to be like Jesus, if Jesus is my who in training to be godly, I will be conformed more into the image of God. Which is why Paul would tell the believers in Corinth, follow me as I follow Christ. He would tell the believers in Philippi that I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to, I want to know him so much and to even share in his sufferings. I want, to, I want to be like Jesus. That's my goal. Now, here's a problem that I'm seeing developing in churches and Christians today. So here's a problem. I want to invite you into the problem that I'm seeing Many want to receive the love of Jesus, but they don't want to receive the life of Jesus. I'm seeing that develop today in churches and Christians, particularly throughout the U.S. They, they want to they claim, yes, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, but they don't want to receive the life of Jesus. And so they're taking a truth about Jesus and twisting it into a heresy to fit their life because they're doing so so that they can have a license to be whoever they want to be and to do whatever they want to do. Listen to this, church, and I'm about to preach here in a second. Jesus did not die for the sin of the world and rise from the grave for you or me to be whatever we want to be, whoever we want to be, nor to do whatever we want to do. He died for our sin and he rose from the grave so that we could become a child of the king and conformed into his image and his likeness. So if we're going to receive the love of Jesus, we're also receiving the life of Jesus. I mean, the fact that Paul says train means that we cannot live any way we want to. You got to train. You should be tired of the status quo. You should, you should say the status quo has got to go. And this is my goal. This is my destination. It is to be like Jesus. Now, any teaching, any teaching, any training that does not lead you or me towards Jesus to be more like Jesus isn't biblical teaching, but demonic teaching. 
So if you ever want to measure what my teaching is doing, is it leading you to Jesus and to be more like Jesus or to do things in your own power? When Jesus becomes our standard, when Jesus becomes the person we have in mind during our training, it will lead us to ask a lot of questions, but here's at least five questions that you can ask, that I can ask. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus respond? What would Jesus say? How would Jesus love? And what would Jesus give? So those are five questions that you can ask, that I can ask to make sure that we're going deeper in Jesus because we wanna be more like him. And one of the things that I've seen in over two decades of ministry in the U.S. church is that there are a lot of believers, they like staying in the kiddie pool. They like staying in the shallow end. And so they go to Bible study. They may even, you know, they may even attend church regularly. They might even read their Bible. They might even pray. And they have all of this knowledge. They have all of this intellect, but they have not, they have not taken themselves and, and kind of dove into the depths of the gospel. And what is the gospel? Jesus' life, death, resurrection. And if you want to be more like Jesus, you're going to constantly ask yourself these questions. Just think about it. If you jumped into a deep body of water, like the Gulf or the Atlantic Ocean, the deeper you go, the weightier the water becomes, the more pressure it is on you. The deeper we go into Jesus, the more pressure and weight of God's glory comes down on us to shape us and conform us more into the image of Jesus. We are not striving to be like Pharisees that have all of this knowledge all of this intellect, all of the, you know, waxing eloquently about what the word, you know, what, what, what the word says is actually no being more like Paul and Timothy saying, we want a life that is shaped and conformed by Jesus. And sure, we're going to know the word, but we're going to apply the word so that we might look like Jesus, who is the word. And so you have to have your who, you have to have your who. Number three, training needs a plan. So you have the why, you have the who, and now you have the what. Training needs a plan. So Paul says, command and teach these things. Set an example. Devote yourself to scripture. Be diligent. Give yourself holy. Watch your life and doctrine. Persevere in them. Like I said just a few moments ago, I went out and bought a training plan. And I stuck with that plan. And because I stuck with that plan, I was able to finish my goal. And what Paul gives Timothy here is a training plan to develop a God bod, a godly body. And so I'm just going to give you these seven elements. Uh, I'll put them on the screen behind me. But, but, but here's what I want to give you. I want to go, go through them fairly quick. And here they are. Here, if you want the plan to follow, to become more godly, here's the plan that Paul gives Timothy. Number one, find a mentor or coach, someone you respect. So obviously, Paul is Timothy's mentor. He's his coach. And he's writing this letter. And so Timothy is receiving. He sees Paul as an authority figure. And so he's going to listen to Paul. You can think of it this way. Paul is Timothy's spotter. Everybody needs one of those. Number two, share what you learn with others. So he tells Timothy, I want you to command and teach these things. Um, why would he tell Timothy to do that? I mean, not only is he a pastor there in Ephesus, but why would he say, command and teach these things? So you've received these, now I want you to teach these. 
Because this is a sure way of making sure that you have understood what you have been taught. This is one of the reasons why I love journaling in my devotional time. I have a journal and I write down what God is teaching me. But, but, but here's what I do with those things that God is teaching me. I don't keep them to myself. I actually share them with others. And so share what you learn with others. Uh, number three, set an example for how you are to live. Set an example for how you are to live. So he tells Timothy, set an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. So think about what Paul is saying to Timothy. So Timothy, you're young, but don't let that, don't let that take, take you away from, from focusing on training. But, but I, want you to, I want you to set an example in your speech. So I don't want, I don't want you to answer out in a harsh way or in a harsh tone because a harsh word stirs up anger. A soft word turns away wrath. I want you, Timothy, to let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Timothy, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Do not tear down with your words, Timothy, but build up. So set an example, Timothy, with your conduct. Contribute to the needs of others. Seek to be hospitable. Bless those who persecute you. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Timothy, don't be prideful or arrogant. Be humble. Overcome evil with good. Timothy, watch your conduct. Timothy, I want you to set an example in how you love because God is love. Let your love be genuine. Love is patient, Timothy, and kind, and it holds no record of wrong. Timothy, love believes the best and love never fails. So set an example in how we love. Timothy, I want you to set an example in faith. Abhor what is evil and cling to that which is good. Fight the good fight of faith. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, Timothy. Be patient in trial and tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Timothy, I want you to set an example in faith. And then, Timothy, I want you to set an example in purity. This is God's will, your sanctification, that, Timothy, you avoid sexual immorality. Don't look lustfully at another woman. No temptation, Timothy, has overtaken you, but God has given you the power to escape, and he will not give anything in your life that you cannot bear. Be excellent, Timothy, at what is good, and be innocent of evil. Set the example in purity. And so I want you to think about this idea of setting an example. So Timothy, as he lives his life, he's going to constantly be looking at these areas of his life to make sure that he's setting an example, that he's growing in these areas. And then the next element of his training plan is to devote himself to the word of God. Devote yourself to the word of God. So for Timothy, because he's the pastor, I want you to publicly read the word of God. I want you to preach. I want you to exhort and encourage. And then I want you to teach. I want you to instruct. I want you to give understanding and knowledge to what you are preaching. And so you might not be a preacher. You might not be a teacher. So how does that apply to you? Well, make sure that you're part of a congregation that devotes themselves to the public reading of scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Number five, use your gifts to serve others. So he tells Timothy, do not neglect your gift. 
So what was Timothy's gift? Well, it was preaching. It was teaching. It might have been also evangelism, maybe even administration. Let me ask you the question. Are you using the gifts that God has given you to serve others? Gifts like giving, hospitality, service, exhortation, teaching, encouragement, prayer, evangelism, and counseling. Because exercising your gifts makes you a healthier Christian. To sit on your blessed assurance makes you an obese Christian. (laughs) Happy New Year. (laughs) Number six. This this is actually my good, so this is my favorite one. So elbow somebody and say, uh, pay attention. Keep an eye on your orthopraxy and orthodoxy. So you're like, those are big words, Josh, $10 words. Okay, I, I get it. Orthopraxy means right living. Orthodoxy means right doctrine. And they go hand in hand. So he tells Timothy to watch your life and your doctrine. So doctrine would include things like what we believe about God, what we believe about the Trinity, what we believe about salvation, what we believe about humanity, what we believe about marriage, what we believe about family, what we believe about sexuality, what we believe about church, or what we believe about the mission of God. All of those are doctrines. And what Paul is telling Timothy is watch your life and your doctrine because whatever you believe will lead to how you behave. And one of the most most saddening things that I'm seeing today in the church in the U.S. is biblical illiteracy. We don't even know what the Bible says. Therefore, we don't even know what doctrine is. And so therefore, we live any way we want to. No wonder the church doesn't look like Jesus. So keep an eye, Timothy, on your orthopraxy and your orthodoxy. So some of you might need to visit our bookstore. We got a lot of theology books in there. Uh, You you need to listen to the podcast. Make sure you come to uh, corporate worship. Listen to the preaching of God's word. If you want other podcasts, I will be happy to send you other podcasts. I listen to teaching, so I'll be happy to share with you who I listen to. But we need to keep an eye on our orthopraxy and our orthodoxy. And the last element of Timothy's training plan that Paul gives him is persevere and remain diligent in your training. So be diligent in these matters, persevere in them. Don't give up, keep at it. Like, don't give up. I know, listen, I've been part of a training plan. And there are times where you just... I just want to give up. I'm tired of it. Tired of all that drama in that church. I'm just, I'm just going to get right here. Tired of him stepping on my toes. It hurts. Listen, I know training absolutely hurts. I don't understand. I, I, I get it. Stick with it. Persevere. And remain diligent. And then the last, the, the fourth point of training. And, and Marsh, he, you come on out, brother, and uh, whisk me away with I surrender all. <laughs> fourth, training measures progress. And there's the how. So he says, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Everybody say progress. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. If you train right, 
Don't miss this. If you train right, you'll experience the right results. Like if you, and, and many of you know it. Like you've, you are in a, you're in a vocation where you were trained. You didn't know anything about that vocation until you went to training. And you could see the progress. Listen, training right leads to right results. And what Paul is telling Timothy, there, there are two results here. One, you look more like Jesus if you progress. If you stick with it. And then you'll actually point people to the real Jesus. You'll point people to real, authentic Christian faith. And here's real, authentic Christian faith. It's the faith that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, that he has taken my place as a sinner. He died the death that I should have died. But he took my place because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to take my place so that I might live rather than die. And I'm going to put my faith in Jesus as my King, my Savior, my Lord, my Redeemer. I'm going to to make my life revolve around Him. And as a result of that faith, guess what happens? You begin to train yourself. Because the Spirit of God is in you. He's given you the Spirit of God living inside of you. He's taken taken the Spirit of God. He has imputed the Spirit of God in us so that we might have the power to train. Which is why 2 Peter says that you have everything. I have everything we need for godliness. And therefore, we then go to church. We pray. We read God's word. We fellowship in community. We tell people about Jesus. See, we don't do all of those things to be saved. We do all of those things because we are saved. And what, and what Paul is telling Timothy is if you live out this life, if you train for a godly body, you actually point people to the real Jesus. So here's my question. And actually two of them that I want us to dwell on for the next few moments. Can people tell that you are becoming more like Jesus? Can people tell? Derwin, many of you know Pastor Derwin. Joni and I, we met Derwin and Jackie about 10 years ago. So I was 10 years younger, just do the math. (laughs) And when Derwin got here, and had spent some more time around me, he said, you're not the, you're not the same, and I can't, I can't tell the word, I, I cannot share the word he used because that would not be, that would be, it wouldn't be nice on a Sunday. But he says, you're no longer old Josh. You've grown a lot. I, you know what I said to him? Praise God. Praise God. Can people tell that you are becoming more like Jesus and then are people more like Jesus as a result of being around you? Those those are two, man, those are two tough questions. And as we sing, I want you to, as, as Marsh leads us into I Surrender All this first time, I want you to sit and ponder those two questions. Am I becoming more like Jesus and are the people that God has placed around me Are they even being encouraged and pointed in the direction of becoming more like Jesus?